Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always, ladies and gentlemen, he is, as I'd like to say, one half of the Mega Powers. He is our captain. And I'll be steering the drunken flying garage ship today. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. It's summertime, and it's hot out, and I love an ice-cold, crisp Pilsner. So today, in the garage, we have a Pilsner from the Freem Family Brewers, which won the 2018 Mid-Size Brewery of the Year from the Great American Beer Festival. Now, the first thing you will notice with Freem Pilsner is the brilliant gold color, and then you get the aroma of spring flowers and lemon. You'll taste a hint of honey, and it finishes crisp and clean. Garage Grade 4 out of five bottle caps and today's beer was delivered to the garage thanks to these tcg diehards right here first up a big long distance cheers and thank you to ahmed and mary in lake oswego oregon and a big cheers to emily in cape coral florida next we have a cheers to matthew m in parts unknown and also in pu we have kendra k pu because in parts unknown people are not putting up the toilet seats so you better put up the toilet seats you get kicked out on your keister and a big cheers mates to cheryl and rome new york and let's give some thanks to jared and jenny from bluefield west virginia and last but certainly not least we have another emily she says to get some dutch beer and emily is from amsterdam everyone we just mentioned went to truecrimegarage.com and donated to this week's beer fund and for that we thank all of you. If you'd like to support the garage and get something back in return, go to truecrimegarage.com. Click on our store page. We have some sticker packs. We got some tank tops. We have some t-shirts. We, we got a bunch of new products coming too, so you want to keep checking the store page for those. Also, check us out on the Stitcher app for our old episodes and Stitcher Premium for our weekly show called off the record and that is enough of the business all right everybody gather around grab a chair grab a few beers let's talk some true crime
Basically, we have identified the bodies of, of the two uh, females that were found out yesterday, or yes, yesterday. Uh, the bodies are of, uh, have been positively identified as Abigail J. Williams, 13, of the Delphi area, and Liberty Rose Lynn German, 14, of the Delphi area. The two girls were reported missing on Monday, February 13th. The bodies were discovered about 12.15 on the 14th in the woods just east of town here by volunteers that helped in the search of the children after they were reported missing to the Carroll County Sheriff's Department. Family has been notified. This is considered a double homicide investigation. No further information will be released at this time. We have, we have nobody in, in custody at this time. Uh, so as far as I'm concerned, yes, there is somebody out there that did this horrendous crime. And uh, we're going to track them down. It is disturbing. It is concerning as sheriff at, in my position. And, uh, I, I, you know, I want to, I guess, assure the community, as, as Trooper Riley indicated, we're going to get to the bottom of this. We feel confident, and uh, you know we're going to, we're going to do everything we can within our uh, resources to reach justice in this situation. This is Delphi, Indiana. And our case starts on the afternoon of February 13th, 2017. At about 1.40 in the afternoon, 13-year-old Abby Williams and 14-year-old Libby German were dropped off by Libby's older sister, Kelsey. The drop-off location is at a trailhead on County Road 300 North. This is near the scenic Monin High Bridge, which is an abandoned railroad bridge that goes over Deer Creek in Carroll County, Indiana. Okay, I'm going to try to get as detailed on this portion of our timeline as I can. So before the girls left to go to the bridge and the trails, Libby asked her older sister Kelsey several times if she could drive them out there, to which Kelsey said no several times before basically giving in and saying yes. Now, Liberty had already secured permission from her grandmother Becky to go to the bridge, the idea was Becky said, yes, you and Abby can go to the bridge if you can get a ride there and if you can get a ride back. So the plan was for Kelsey to drop the two girls off. And then around 3.30 p.m., Libby's father, Derek, would pick both of them up. This 3.30 marker is just a general time, as Derek said he would call Libby when he was close to the pickup location. So Kelsey drops off the girls and then calls her boyfriend to tell him that she is en route to go hang out with him. Kelsey was going to go hang out with him and then go off to work. While walking on the trail, Libby posts a photo to Snapchat. This is the now famous 2.07 p.m. Snapchat photo showing Abby crossing the Monin High Bridge. At 3.11 p.m., Derek calls Libby's phone. Libby does not answer. At 3.13, Derek makes another call. Derek says both of these calls go to voicemail, but after ringing. So Libby's phone rings, and then the calls go to voicemail. Eventually, and I've seen it reported, this might have been as early as 3.30 p.m., calls to Libby's phone start going directly to voicemail. When this second call goes to voicemail, 
Derek parks the car. So now he is parked in a location where he can pick up the girls. This is the same general location where the two girls were originally dropped off. Derek claims that once he parks the car, he gets out of his car immediately. Yeah, he parked at the trailhead and he walks the trail. Within minutes of parking the vehicle and starting off on the trail on foot, he comes to an intersecting path. He says it's here where he sees, as he has described, an older man with a plaid or flannel shirt on. He asks this man if he has seen two girls, to which the man responds, no, but I saw a couple on the bridge. These trails out there are numbered. The intersecting trails are the 501 trail and the 505 trail. Derek is going to walk down the 505 trail to look for the girls. Now, forgive me, everyone, as I've only seen this on maps, but it appears to me that the 501 trail is the more heavily traveled trail. It appears to be like the main trail there. Derek takes the other trail, the 505, which dead ends at Deer Creek. He does not find the girls, and he does not see anyone else. So he turns around, and he heads back the way he came, walking all the way back to his vehicle. Once he is near his vehicle, he calls Becky Patty. Becky is Libby's grandmother. Derek is telling her, hey, I'm here. Libby is not picking up the phone. The girls are not here. This this phone call takes place at 3.30 p.m. After the call, Derek is going to walk the 501 path. So he gets there. He's calling. Nobody's answering. He walks down a path, the less lesser-traveled path path gets back to the car still nothing now he's going to go walk the main path but at this point there has to be some level of concern oh yeah yeah so much so that he's already called becky the grandmother right so let's give a general description of this path which i think is very important for those that have not seen this on a map all right from where he is parked the general description is this starting from where he parked he walks a short distance on a short trail Once there, he is standing at the 501 trail, which is a long trail. It's the more traveled trail. It's also called the Monin High Bridge Trail because if you are standing right there at the intersecting trails, Trail 501 or the Monin High Bridge Trail to the northwest goes all the way to the Freedom Bridge, which is a beautiful pedestrian bridge that extends over Highway 25, better known as the Hoosier Heartland Highway, or Triple H for wrestling fans. To the northwest is this beautiful Freedom Bridge, right? To the southeast is the Monin High Bridge. So Derek goes up to the Freedom Bridge to see if the girls are up there. He does not see them. Then again, he turns around. By the time he gets back to the intersecting trails, this is when members of Libby's family start to arrive to help in the search. Remember, we said Kelsey was going to work. Well, she got a call from Becky, the grandmother, who is alerting the family that Libby is missing. So instead of going to work, Kelsey returns to help as well. Just real quick, just to recap, because a lot of things are happening here. The girls were dropped off at approximately 1.40 p.m. I've seen this time as early as 1.35 p.m. and as late as 1.45 p.m. Yeah. The Snapchat photo is at 2.07 p.m. So 
We know they are alive and well at 207. Then not even an hour and a half later, less than 90 minutes later, Derek is there at 315 looking for them. At 3.30, Becky is notified, and by 4 p.m., less than two hours after the Snapchat photo, multiple members of Libby's family are there at the trails and looking for the girls. Between 3.30 and 4 p.m., her family continues to try to call her, some leaving voicemails and some texting as well. At about 4.20 p.m., Kelsey, along with Cody, Cody is Libby's uncle. Kelsey and Cody set out, down the trail and they go in the direction of the Monin High Bridge and they actually cross the bridge. When they get to the other side of the bridge, they went to a couple of the homes in the area knocking on doors to inquire about Libby and Abby. According to Kelsey and Cody, they only speak to one person and of course that person had not seen the girls. Mike Patty is Libby's grandfather. Just a quick background for those who are less familiar with the case. Libby and her older sister, Kelsey, were raised by their grandparents, Mike and Becky. Derek is their father. Both their father and mother are involved in their lives, but the mother lives all the way or lived at the time about four hours away in Kentucky. Mike Patty, Libby's grandfather, arrives on the scene. This is right around 5 p.m. Now, there's a residence very near the trailhead parking area. Mike goes to this home. He knows these people there at the home. While there, he calls a friend of his who is a police officer. Then Mike goes back to the trails. This is around 5.20 p.m. At 5.30 p.m., Libby's family calls and notifies the police. A huge search gets underway but is called off once it gets too dark. In a news release, Carroll County Sheriff Toby Lazenby says there's no reason to suspect foul play or believe the girls are in immediate danger. Well, and based off of video footage and photos that I've seen of this area, this would be difficult, I think, to search at night. Actually, I'd actually think parts of it would actually be dangerous to search at night. There's steep hills there, and there's also, I mean, that bridge, that Monin High Bridge is dangerous in itself right it's an abandoned railroad bridge anybody that walks across it and many people have uh, it was a popular place to go before this incident but even after people have filmed themselves or taken pictures of themselves on this bridge and you see everybody looking down as they walk it it's a 70 foot drop yeah uh, 70 or 75 foot drop if you fall off that bridge and Anybody that's ever walked on an abandoned railroad bridge knows that that sometimes they're missing steps. And even all the steps that are there, there's a distance between them where you could, you could twist an ankle, you could easily lose your footing. Right. And on top of that too, I've seen pictures of this area, both in the summer, fall, winter, and even in the month of February, even with all the leaves off of the trees, this is an area that's heavily wooded in in a lot of parts and tough to see things at any distance at all even when the the leaves are off of the trees right so they call off the search they're they're trying to be hopeful but i'd be a little concerned that if they're out there somewhere in the park that this is not the best area for them to be in especially after dark right and you have the highway that's right by there the the um 
Indiana Highway number 25, mm-hmm. which we've discussed that on other cases too. You don't want to disappear or go missing right around a highway. But that also probably leads to some kind of discussion on several levels. These are young teenage girls. It's, it's They've only been missing for a few hours, uh, probably, let's say, five, six hours by the time they call off the search. Right you're probably having the discussion with her caretakers with with the parents and caretakers of these two young girls that they might have they might be off partying with somebody or they might be out you know doing something right they could have been drop us off at the park we're going to meet up with somebody that they just didn't tell uh, their guardians about so they're not going to start searching until the next morning which would be February 14th 2017 yeah, the search continues for the girls, and there are several of these teams of searchers out there. They, You can find on YouTube, and any of the people that were local remember that they were calling that morning. They were out on TV broadcasting and saying, anybody that is available today, please come out and help us search this area for these two girls. But unfortunately, just after around 12 o'clock noon, one of the teams finds two bodies and this is about a half a mile away from the bridge from the Monon High Bridge. So if you're looking at a map of the area and based off of later evidence, the girls were abducted after 2:07 p.m. We know that from the the uh, Snapchat photo. And they would have been abducted after 2:07 p.m. at the southeast side of the bridge. This is where they were likely ordered by the abductor to go down the hill. They would have went down the hill and then across a long private driveway. Now, this is not, keep in mind, this is not the suburbs. So when we say driveway, it's not what anybody's picturing. This driveway looks like a long gravel and dirt road. And at this approximate location, you can't really see any houses. There's not houses or like other roads visible at this location. So as soon as they, they go across this dirt road, gravel road, private driveway, whatever you want to call it, they would have then went down yet another hill. And this one is steeper than the last. This would put them right at the edge of deer Creek. The bodies were found on the opposite side of this Creek, about 50 feet from the North bank of deer Creek. Police have not publicly stated how the girls were murdered. And law enforcement secured a large area of this north bank of the creek with crime scene tape, as well as some of the areas from that southeast side of the bridge working your way down to the creek side. We do not know if the girls were ordered to cross the creek at the shallow point there, or if they tried to make a run for it, or if in fact they may have been killed and then carried across the creek to try to conceal the bodies further. We, we don't know that, but we know that they were found across the creek. Is there any way to get across the creek some other way, like by driving down a path or... I say that they crossed at the shallow point because that would be what would make the most sense from, from where they were found. Um, right. If you were to cross the Creek, 
it, there's there's that one shallow point right there, and it's near that North Bank area where they were were found. And I don't believe that police have actually disclosed whether or not their clothing was wet with the creek water. Well, that's that's the difficult thing here in this case, and that's why we're going to go through it in this manner, because when we originally covered it, it was very early in the case, and there was little to known facts about the case. There was a lot of speculation. There was even speculation at that time that they were found in the creek, and we can piece together words of, of law enforcement and detectives since then to know that that's not true. They were found on dry ground about 50 feet from the creek side. Regarding the wet clothing, we don't know if their clothing was found at all. Right. To for starters. And factoring in the the distance of time, the time that has elapsed from when it's believed that they were abducted and likely killed to when they were found, I can't say I can't say if their clothes would have been still wet at that time. What I can say But what is, you're saying, just so we're clear, you're not saying that they were found nude. I don't know. We don't R- right, we don't know. Right. But that's what I'm saying is the the way you made it sound was like we don't know if their clothes were even found. Right. Right. You asked about wet found. clothes and right, I'm right. saying we just don't know because right. we don't we don't even have anybody to tell us if the clothes clothing was on them, was right. found, was was never there, whatever. But what I'm going to guess here and say is that and I'm basing this simply off of just what the police did in fact rope off with with the large area on that north bank uh, creek side with crime scene tape. I'm completely guessing here, Captain, but it, it would seem more likely to me that they were they were probably killed on the side of the creek in which they were found. Again, I don't know if that means that they were ordered to cross the creek or if they tried to make a run for it. Now, on the 15th, on February 15th, autopsies were conducted on the bodies. That afternoon, Indiana State Police and the Carroll County Sheriff's Department held a press conference and they did confirm that they found Liberty and Abigail, Libby and Abby. The girls were murdered, and again, they did not state how they were killed. Indiana State Police also released a photo of a man reportedly seen on the trail around the time the girls disappeared. The image shows a white male with his hands in his pockets while walking on the bridge. He's wearing jeans and a navy blue jacket and a hat. Well, the the hat is still an argument, but a lot of the news pressers that came out around this time describe him as wearing a hat. It's very pixelated. Police, this is the other tricky thing here, right from the get-go. So police do not call the man a suspect, but say that they would like to talk with him. We've seen this tactic in other cases. Sometimes that person is actually considered a suspect by law enforcement, but by releasing it in this manner, not calling him a suspect and just saying we would like to talk with him, there have been cases where that individual has come forward to try to explain away why they are in the area at that time. He goes, hey, you looking for me? (laughs) Yeah. Now, also, Uh law enforcement does not say where the photo came from or how they obtained the photo. Now, I remember thinking 
and and I don't think this was stated anywhere by, mm-hmm. and I know it wasn't stated by law enforcement, but I'm sure others may have been thinking the same thing that I thought maybe this photo, this, it was a still image may have just been captured from some type of trail camera. Right. But we're going to soon learn that this actually was taken by Libby on her phone. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL Learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch. Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 
5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash T-C-G. That's mintmobile.com slash T-C-G. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash T-C-G. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious, from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need to pack a lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code TrueCrimeGarage50 at factormeals.com slash TrueCrimeGarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Cheers. Cheers to you, Captain. On February 22nd, 2017, there is another news conference. This is the now famous news conference where police reveal that one of the victims, Libby, recorded video and audio of the suspect on her cell phone. The audio recording is released to the public. It's a man's voice saying, down the hill. This audio triggered more than a thousand tips. We... Captain, you and I, like so many others, offered our speculation on not only the photo, but the audio when we first covered this case back in May of 2017 in episodes 110 and 111. Yeah, those are free to listen to on the Stitcher app. And a lot of the speculation that was involved between you and I and, like I said, others 
on their TV shows, their podcast, in newspaper articles, everywhere, was how much more does police have? What more was recovered from Libby's phone? And we also question things like, you know, the, the voice sounds muffled. Is that because the, the phone was concealed in her pocket? And how did they obtain this information that was on her phone? Was her phone, in fact, found? I believe now, I you know, at the time, I thought maybe they pulled this stuff from the, the cloud, possibly. I've changed my opinion on that. I'm starting to think that they probably found her phone and it was just a, I think the killer was in a rush to get out of there and may have not known that his image and his voice was captured on her phone. Yeah. Or was unaware that she had a phone. I mean, there's any, any number of reasons out there, but again, I'm just simply guessing on that, but I wanted to mention that I've changed my thoughts and feelings on that. I think pop, very likely that they found her phone. Now, by March 1st, the reward money for information in the case grew to $200,000. Eight days later, Mike Patty, Libby's grandfather, who some on the internet were saying looked like the suspect or the bridge guy, speaks out publicly for the first time at the Carroll County Courthouse. Personally, I don't think... Mike looks anything like what I think I'm seeing in the photo of the bridge guy. And I say what I think that I'm seeing, because as you've pointed out, it's a pixelated grainy photo, right? It's taken some distance away. The man on the bridge, the bridge guy is some distance away from Libby when she took this video footage and what's released to the public. There's hot debate and has been for almost two years, well, for over two years, about what we are seeing and what this individual looks like. But again, personally, I don't think, nor have I ever thought that that Mike Patty looks anything like what we are seeing in that photo and then later the video footage. Right, but you have two children dead. We have no evidence of the grandfather being there around 2 o'clock, let's say. And you would think that with this information, he might not have known, let's just say hypothetically it was him, he wouldn't have known that he was having his picture taken by her. You would think that somebody in the family would come forward and say, that looks like him. Yeah. And there's nobody coming forward and, and doing that. And and I think I, they probably I, agree with me that it doesn't, that they don't think it looks like him. One, I don't think it looks like him body type. I don't think it looks like his face. I don't think it looks like his his facial features, his hair, his nothing. Like there's there's none of it that other than it being a white guy. Right. <laughs> I don't see any other any other possible connection. Plus we know that Mike Patty has an alibi for that time period. He he very likely when you really tear through this timeline and some of the phone calls that were going on. Right. I find it very likely that Mike Patty would have been unaware that the girls were even there until they were, until people were worried. Right. Until they said, Hey, they're missing. And, and I think that's what's so difficult in this case is it seems like there's a lot of grabbing at straws. I mean, the first thing that I'd want to know investigating this case is one, we don't know if this bridge guy is connected or not. 
we're not law enforcement, so we don't know the extent of information that that phone captured. Do we have minutes of audio footage? Do we have minutes of video footage? We don't know. We're not law enforcement. And my, But my first thing when looking at this case is who was supposed to drop her off? Where were they at? What's their alibi? After that, then it becomes who was supposed to pick them up? Where's his location based off maybe cell phone pings? You know, does the does the father get there earlier than he says he did? Uh, you know, where where was he at? What's his alibi? What would his motive be? This is where I would start. But you see quickly in this case people jumping to that looks like the grandpa and and having really no evidence to connect connect that at all. Well, and that's what this case will has been and will continue to be. And this is not a standalone incident. We've seen this in other cases where they release a composite sketch drawing of the person last seen with somebody or a potential suspect. Right. And you get a flood of people calling in and the tip is not a great tip. It's just a tip of, I know somebody that looks like that. Or I was driving on the on the uh, this such and such road on Main Street, and I passed a car, and the guy in the car looked exactly like that dude, right. like that picture, like that drawing. But what we will learn is that we will eventually learn, just to clear anything up here, that the the image captured on Libby's phone it it is it is announced later that that is the killer of of the two girls. So. That is the person that we are looking for. The debate is what are we seeing? What does he actually look like? Mm -hmm. Because it's a grainy, again, it's a grainy picture. And he he's walking with his face down. And he's not walking with his face down to try to conceal himself from her, her camera phone. I don't think he even knew that he was being videotaped. He's looking down because he's making sure that he doesn't lose his footing on that bridge. Right, and fall 70 feet. Just like everybody else. If if this guy felt that he needed to conceal his face from, from these two girls, he would have put on a mask or he would have put something on. He would have done that in a different manner other than just simply looking down as he's walking toward them. And I want to go ahead and throw this out there too. You can tell that he's hurriedly. He's, he's in a hurry walking towards them. Mm-hmm. So even more important that he's paying attention to the placement of his feet as he makes his way across the bridge. Um, what we're going to see here, though, this whole thing that I'm pointing out here with Mike Patty, with the grandfather, he's making this, this very personalized statement, this very heartfelt statement at the county courthouse. But I'm pointing this out because on the internet, people were saying that he looked like the suspect or some people thought he looked like the suspect. This is really just the start of the online suspects that we will see in this case. And it quickly continued because on March 17th, the Indiana State Police, the FBI and Carroll County Sheriff's deputies serve a search warrant. This is at the home of Ron Logan. Ron Logan owns the 30 acre property where Abby and Libby were found. Yeah. The popular TV show inside edition speaks to this man 
in his interview, he says he was buying tropical fish at the time of the murders. Ron Logan is later arrested and sentenced to two years for operating a vehicle. This is after he was illegally operating a vehicle. This is after being a habitual traffic offender. He is accused of driving to the county dump on the same day that the girls vanished. To be 100% clear, he has not been charged in regards to the murders, although he's certainly been... Same kind of scenario. A lot of people saw his interview and went, that looks like the guy. Right. And and it's his property. So... And there's some debate on how cooperative he has been with police. Right. I've seen people that have said Ron has been gone out of his way to do everything he can to make sure that they know what he was up to, that he was not involved. And then I've heard other, other arguments that have said just the complete counter of that, that, that he has not been very forthcoming. Yeah. And a I, lot of people actually speculate that here's this lesser charge that we can charge him with. And therefore, maybe he would then say something. Because I remember at the time, once they arrested him, it's like, okay, well, here's this guy that claims he was somewhere where he wasn't. Um, you know, then they, you know, why is he at the dump the day that these these girls are found? Yeah, none of this is sounding good. This is, yeah, that doesn't sound good. What What is he disposing of? Because, yes, you, you find these bodies, but again, we don't know if they were clothed or not clothed. And then on top of that, what did he use for these murders? And did he go to the dump and, and dump those? So a lot of people speculated early that this was a, a tactic to get him behind bars, get him thinking about what happened, get him away from everybody, and therefore he would then come forward and, and maybe possibly confess to this. The other thing, though, too, is you know we talk about what does not sound good for for Ron. What does look good to me is I don't think that he looked like the bridge guy. I think Ron looks considerably older than what I think I'm seeing in that picture. And he, I don't think he matches the description. Not only does he look older, he looks a little bit, he looks taller to me than, than what we believe we are looking for. And then in July of 2017, after everyone was waiting and waiting for the other shoe to drop for some kind of new information on the case, the Indiana state police released a sketch of the murder suspect. The person depicted in the composite sketch is described as a white male between five foot, six inches tall to five foot, 10 inches tall, weighing 180 to 220 pounds with reddish brown hair and eye color unknown. Right, so this would go against Logan, yeah, because of the hair color. One, also the the drawing looks a lot younger than than Logan looks. Yeah, and this is the this part of the story can get a little confusing for people not so familiar with the case because there are eventually two sketches released. This is the first one, and I guarantee that people have seen this. This is the one with the the flapjack hat on and the right. the little kind of thin goatee hair sticking out on the sides around the ears and the individual wearing a hoodie. Well, on the picture that they released to the public, it's very pixelated. So then one would have to start assuming that they had some other angle, uh, some other picture that they found on Libby's phone. 
and and that's how they're getting this drawing. Well, that's that's interesting. That's always been another hotly debated item. So it's rumored and then later stated on the Dr. Phil show that 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 this sketch was the product of more than one eyewitness who saw this man on the trails. So going off of that statement, it seems like this sketch is not compiled based off what they think they were seeing on her phone or on that footage, but based off of more than one eyewitness who saw or claims to have seen this man on the trails the the day that the girls were killed. Now, for some speculation on this, several people have put together and compiled some good info on this case. These people seem to believe that given the timing of the known facts and of the persons on the trails that day and Libby's family, they're searching for her just shortly after the abduction for there to be more than one eyewitness of this man. Many believe he must've been spotted both before and after the murders. Some have made a strong case that the man wearing the plaid or flannel shirt that interacted with Derek on the trail intersection before 3.30 p.m., people have pointed out that he must be or very likely could be one of the persons to have seen the suspect, and given that timeline, he likely saw the suspect after the murders when the suspect was trying to leave the area. This is interesting on several levels, if in fact that it, if it's true one because it has never been publicly released where the public where the suspect was spotted mm-hmm. and by who and even though there are several theories out there we don't know what route or exactly where the suspect left the area from right from law enforcement statements it's believed at least one witness is a man and at least one witness to the suspect was a female And I say that because in one of the pressers, when giving answers, one of the officers says she in in response to this composite sketch. So I I would argue or just speculate that these eyewitness accounts are before pre-murder because where they're found and and the area that they're found is, is it's off the trail. And to then backtrack and to get back onto the trail to leave, um, my gut is telling me that that's not how it happened. That's possible, but we don't know where this where this monster parked his vehicle, right? And it may, or if he had a vehicle there at all, it may not have been out of design. It may have been have had to have been out of necessity to make his way back and backtrack through the trails. Correct. He could have also avoided the main trail for a large portion of whatever part that he had to walk back to his vehicle, you know, tromping through the woods as much as he could until he had to get back onto the trail. Right. And and if he if he had to get back on the trail, I would say that would be more likely. We cannot say for certain that the man in the plaid or flannel shirt was one of the people that claims to have seen the suspect that, that was provided details to come up with this sketch. But I'm guessing based off of that, and this individual has talked with, with police pretty extensively. If regarding his timeline 
flannel shirt man, plaid shirt man's timeline. Right. If he if he tells police I did not arrive until to the park or trail area until this time, that might be why the speculation is that maybe he did in fact see this suspect after the murders. Because we now what's so interesting about this timeline to me mm-hmm. and what we did not know when we first covered this case is the the window in which the the murders very likely occurred is so much shorter than what we originally thought. Right. We're talking about, it's so very likely that this, this all went down between about two fifteen and, and maybe three o'clock. Right. It seems to be generally believed or, or theorized that the killer had already made his way out of that general area by the time or shortly after Derek Libby's father arrived and looking for her. And I think you can base that that thought off of his interaction with the flannel shirt man. Right. All right. Sorry, I went down. I went down a, a long road there, but thank you for for joining me on it there. Well, Captain. I also want to bring up the fact that based on it's speculated because they're not telling us how they died, wh- how they were killed, right? Mm-hmm. But from some of the rumors out there that you would think that this guy would have some kind of blood on him. There would be some kind of blood evidence. And so that's why, like I said, whether you're leaving from a different way that you came in, because you could backtrack somewhere, or like you said, and I agree with you, staying off the path as long as you can, because you have this evidence on you that something bad happened. Mm -hmm. And, and so so I think that, again, they have all this information. They're only releasing bits and pieces. So we, we can only speculate on some of these things. You know what? I do want to point out real quick while we're on that topic before before the thought leaves my tiny little brain here. Um, there is one YouTuber who's done, well, there's several YouTubers that have done a lot of work on this case. Some of it good, some of it bad, just that's right. my warning. If you, if you choose to go down that path, don't say that Nick, don't say that the Colonel and the captain sent you go in there, swim at your own risk. Some of it is good info and some of it is absolutely painful and terrible to watch. Yeah. But at the Not end good of the stuff, right. But at the end of the day, there's two murdered kids. And I think that's why the community has the community of true crimers have tried to got behind this case and, and tried to, do everything they can to put the word out there. And sometimes people get fixated in their ideas and fixated on, you know, it has to be this Logan guy or it has to be the father or it has to be the grandfather. Uh, they just get fixated. But at the end of the day, I think they don't mean harm by that. I think they're really trying to bring attention to the case. Well, this is one thing that I found super interesting that this, this guy did. And I can't remember his first name, last name, Greeno. Greeno's done a lot of YouTube work yeah. on this case. And one thing that he did that I found incredibly interesting was he had a a, a man wear about the same color of jeans because that's one thing you can't dispute. That's not up for debate. We know we can look at that picture and see what color those jeans are that the guy was wearing. And so he had somebody wear the same color of jeans. And remember, what we do know is this the killer, the bridge guy would have had to cross that Creek at some point. 
and it, it would either be because he ordered the girls across the creek and killed them there, or he transported the bodies there, or he or he chased after them because they tried to make a run for it. Right. So those are two known facts, and this is what I think is brilliant. Anybody, anytime anybody can take some known facts and then do a little experimentation with them. Yeah. Fantastic work. So so uh, a big kudos to Greeno there. But what he did was he had a man wear the same color of jeans and then walk across that creek at that shallow area. And then very shortly afterwards, he videotaped the guy's jeans, which sounds silly, but what he's pointing out is, and it was very clear on, on the, from his footage. If this man, if the bridge guy were walking and later spotted by somebody, it's very likely that nobody would say, I saw a man wearing wet jeans walking on the trail. The way the color of those jeans when he filmed them after the guy walked across the the water there right did not appear to look wet to me which I I found fascinating because that was one thing that I always wondered about once we learned more of the area of where in fact they were found I kept going well why wouldn't have out of these witnesses and out of these people that were at the bridge and at the trails those days, that day, and then all these people from Libby's family there shortly afterwards looking for her, mm-hmm. it would have been so easy for police to get a tip that, oh, I saw a guy that looked exactly like this, and what was so odd about him was he was soaking wet. But we don't have that tip. Right. And again, we don't know. You would think maybe you would see more of that if, if the perpetrator chased after them and had to run through the water. But again, if it's one of those things where it's the, the crime happened on one side and then the murderer transported their bodies over, you could roll up your jeans or whatever. But basically what, what you're stating, which I think is very intelligent is the idea of even if they walked through the water, you might not have seen, um, this might not have stuck out to you. No, because all it looks like is, a darker pair of blue jeans. It doesn't right. look like like they're soaking wet. It just looks like a darker color, a darker shade of blue. And here's the other thing too regarding Mike Patty and the um the property owner, Logan. Ron Logan. Look, I understand people have their suspicions, but I want to throw this out there just so we can all try to get on the same page. This is not some fumbling and bumbling investigation. This is the state police. This is the FBI. This is the sheriff's department. This is as many agencies as you can possibly think of working together, putting all their resources into solving this case. Yeah. Keyword FBI. If the, if the bridge guy was somebody so close in social circle to one of the victims, such as Mike Patty, or somebody so close in proximity as to Ron Logan to where the bodies were found on his property, it's been over two years, this thing would have been solved by now. Now, nobody's out there standing on a hill saying, I'm going to die on this hill and argue this to death that these two were not involved. Nobody's doing that. So there's still public speculation and suspicion out there. I'm saying, that I believe if somebody was so close, either in proximity or relationship to the girls that committed this crime, that was, was in fact bridge guy, the killer, this thing would have been solved by now. It, it seems 
so far-fetched that that, that that would be the result when this thing does finally get solved, because it will. So let's continue yeah. on with some, some other suspects here, Captain. Well, I, I just want to say I, I agree with you mostly, but again, we don't know what evidence they have and what evidence they don't have. And so, um, but what we do know is that they haven't come out publicly and said that Logan is not involved. They haven't come out publicly and, and stated that uh, that they cleared everybody in the family or cleared people in closed circles. So that has to remain on the table. And I think especially the family members are normally understanding of that. You take any case like where a wife is murdered and they heavily investigate the husband. Most of the time, if, if the husband is innocent, he's saying, that's fine. Keep looking at me. Keep, keep investigating me. If you want, you're going to get to a dead end at some point. So, I think that you have to keep those on the table because, again, we don't know exactly what they have and what they don't. Well, this is where, for some, the levy broke. And this is on September 17, 2017, when authorities in Colorado arrested a man named Daniel Nations for having expired Indiana license plates. Police say he could be linked to the murders and call him a person of interest in the Delphi case. Daniel Nations is a sex offender from the state of Indiana, and he was homeless at the time of the murder. So nailing down his whereabouts is difficult, to say the least. Mm -hmm. Nations' wife says he resembles the police sketch of the suspect, but did not own the clothing seen in the photo. In fact, she told the Gazette newspaper, quote, I can't tell if that is him or not, but the one thing I'm not going to buckle on, he did not have that jacket. So Daniel Nations was arrested during the Tim Watkins murder investigation. This murder took place in the state of Colorado. To be clear, he was arrested during this investigation, but he was not been charged in the murder of Tim Watkins, even though there are some who suspect nations could possibly have killed Tim right? because he was seen and reported to be threatening people with a hatchet on the trails out there. But Tim Watkins was killed with a gun and authorities have been unable to link nations to a gun and the murder of Tim Watkins. Well, here's what happened in the public eye though. You hear, here's this guy that was arrested he was on these trails. He was threatening people with a hatchet. And you go, and he's from Indiana. And I believe he had a probation hearing or some kind of hearing that he was supposed to show up to. It was He's supposed to check in regularly because he's a sex offender. Right. He's like supposed, He's got a parole officer and all that jazz, and he's got to show up and say, hey, I'm here. I'm still, I'm still working at my job. I'm keeping my nose clean. I'm not doing anything weird. But it was like something And he didn't strange. show up. Yeah, but it was like the week after the murders. It was like some weird timing where it's like so not only um do the you know, not only do we not know his whereabouts when he was in Indiana, but here these murders take place and you take off. And the next time right. we, next time we see you, you're in Colorado threatening people with a hatchet. Acting like a complete nut job. And if you see his picture and you see the first drawing uh, of the suspect, you go, I can see that. And then 
that was it. They they were saying that they were transporting him back to Indiana. Mm-hmm. And then we just kind of sat around for a while just wondering what was happening. Yeah, we talked about who I think does not look like the sketch or the bridge guy of what I think I'm seeing in the in the picture there. Yeah. If you put Mike Patty, Ron Logan, and Daniel Nations in a lineup and said, Nick, which one of these looks like the bridge guy? I'm mm-hmm. saying, Daniel Nations, please step forward here. He looks, to me, a, much more like potential well, bridge guy than same, the other two. Yeah, same hair color as described as well same weird face but Mm -hmm. he he claims his alibi is that he was tagging along with his wife for a doctor's visit that day to which later she says i believe he was with me but i can't i can't prove 100 percent that he was in fact with me that day now keep in mind she's being asked this you know six months later right seven months later um we covered Tim Watkins case. If anybody's interested in checking that out earlier this year in March, this is episodes 284 and 285. And we also covered the Daniel nations portion of that case in depth in those episodes on February 14th, 2018, one year after the double homicides of Libby and Abby authorities say Daniel nations is not a suspect saying quote, we went out to Colorado and we spent a little bit of time with Daniel Nations, and he is not a person we care a whole lot about at this time. This comes from Superintendent Douglas Carter with the Indiana State Police. He said this at a news conference. This is where I think the the DNA question comes up. Right. Because you and I have been fairly vocal about this on off the record or on our other show questioning if in fact they have DNA. Now what we can report is this. We know that early in the investigation, it was stated that they had DNA that disappeared from the news at some point and disappeared from their statements at some point. Yeah. There's also rumor that very quickly, I mean, we're talking like the next day, two days after the girls were found, very quickly in this investigation, the first 48, first 72 hours after finding the bodies, the local rumor is that the state police were in the area knocking on doors, not only interviewing everybody that lived in the immediate area, but also asking them to submit DNA. Right, which would lead you to believe that they have DNA, but what if it was just like, you know, as a cautionary measure and we're talking to you will you submit dna you will thank you so much autopsy comes back we have no dna from the perpetrator and you're exactly right and that's that's the whole problem with public perception on this case and others as well you can't immediately go well they're asking people for dna so they must have it you just you can't believe that because it is a tactic. It's an investigative tool just to see if you can make somebody squirm. And if they squirm when you ask them a question or ask them to cooperate in any shape or form, then you want to know why the hell they're squirming, right? Right. So I, I agree. Why are you squirming vermin? Yeah. I, I agree with you 100% here, Captain. I personally think that they have 
DNA or some form of DNA. And I say that for a couple of reasons. I'm not convinced. I'm not 100% convinced. I could be talked the other way. Mm-hmm. But this this whole statement of of Daniel Nations is not really somebody that we really care a whole lot about. That's mm-hmm. that's like a vague statement of almost well did you clear the guy? Because that sounds I mean the public it seemed like like watching the old Frankenstein movie where the where there's a mob with torches that are ready to hang this guy. Yeah. And and you come out with some vague statement and I'm not criticizing police cuz I think they've done I think they've worked incredibly hard on this case. But the vague statement, they've not been willing to show their hand. They don't have to. They don't want to. It's it's almost where this is somebody that we're not really worried about too much. But we have two dead kids and it's been over two years. Oh, but I I do not want to invest. They don't have to show their hands. They don't. They don't. Right. But I, I would. I understand who the victims are. I'm not going to ask them to compromise their investigation in any form or fashion. No, I don't want them to compromise it. No. I'm, so what? I don't understand what you're asking. No, what I'm saying is that I think your statement is a little silly because it's like, well, they don't they don't have to show anything. They don't have to do anything. Well, whatever they're they've done so far, it obviously hasn't worked. I mean, we have evidence of that. So I I don't know what they're supposed to do. I'm not I'm not a, a detective. I couldn't tell you what they're supposed to do. I I lean towards the idea that they don't have DNA. And the reason why is because normally when they have solid DNA in cases, especially child murder cases, we've seen this with John Benet Ramsey and and other cases like that, where they test the DNA and they definitively tell you that this guy's cleared. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's where I wonder if they have it because if they if they do have it and they're testing people and they're clearing people and they're not making that public you know public knowledge then that's a bad thing because just you take this Logan guy for example these these girls are found on his property 30 acres which is pretty freaking big and think about the ringer that they put him through and if they had the DNA to test against who, who's, his who's they that put Ron Logan through a ringer. Is well, that law enforcement or the public? Because law enforcement is not in charge of the public. No, I understand that. But again, if law enforcement has the DNA and they matched it and it didn't match Logan's DNA, then I think you have a responsibility when you know the public is going after this guy, like you said, like the old Frankenstein movies. You, I think you have an obligation to him. You're supposed to serve and protect each individual. And if you have a, a test that definitively shows that he wasn't involved, I think you have the obligation to then come out and go, hey, we know that people are speculating that, if that you Logan do. is right. But that's that's my reasoning that to me that's the evidence uh, that they don't have the DNA. because, Or that they, they don't have Ron Logan's DNA. Yeah, but he was arrested. They could have taken his DNA then. And same way with nations. So here's two individuals is, that are highly suspect. On top of that, a third individual. Is that a being, felony charge? 
Because I, I think in in most states that you have to be charged and convicted of a felony to be forced to submit your DNA. I could be wrong, but that's my understanding. Right, to be forced. But if you're, again, again okay, obviously we don't know for a fact if they have Logan's DNA or not. Uh, do they have Nation's DNA? Do they have, you know, the grandfather's DNA? I'm not for sure, but I would just assume that if I'm the grandfather and, and everybody's saying, hey, you kind of look like the bridge guy, and they and law enforcement is telling me that they have DNA, and I know I'm not the killer, swab me up. So that to to me, that's you like like as like you said to me there's not definitive evidence but to me there's enough showing me they're not it's just like with this nation's guy out of nowhere it's kind of like well we're not that interested their exact words are he is somebody that we not we do not care a whole lot about at this time right but again that's not definitive right, right. that's so, what i said a vague statement right so that makes me that makes me feel like they don't have the DNA evidence because they're kind of like, well, we don't care about them at this time. But I think if they had DNA evidence, they would say we're not interested in him with him about this case period. Not like we're not interested with him at this time. Again, though, I go, I, I think that that goes back to a couple of things. 100% it comes back to whether they have DNA or not, but on two different levels. I think if they don't have DNA, they want, and they're fine with the bridge guy walking around believing that they have it or suspecting that they have it. Right. So they don't want to show their hand on that front if they don't have it. Now, if they do have it and there's something up with it, right? that's tricky too. There could be some kind of... um what do they call that when there's actually a mixture? Well, there there's a bazillion different things that could be going on with it. Mm-hmm. So, one, it could be that they have it, but it their sample is of such that they need to compare it to a profile, and they can't really do a whole lot with it without having a, having a match to compare it to. Right. If that's the case, that's difficult. Or they could have it and it be contaminated. Right. They could, you know what I mean? There's there's a million different things that you can really go into here. The reason why I go on the opposite side, and and what's interesting, I think, here is that really you and I kind of have the same argument for different sides of the fence, is that my where I lean to that they probably have some form of DNA is that they are somewhat dismissing people, and we see that with nations. Which is which is the same and just as good of an argument as yours saying, well, they've not cleared other people who probably should be cleared in the eyes of the public, right? And so, therefore, it makes me think that they don't have it. I the DNA well, and, and the and the, uh, the other reason why I say that too, though, is is with the press conferences, with talking with with the family members and everybody's respect for these law enforcement officers. And the respect that I, you could, you got to give it to them. Just when you hear the press conference, how much they care, how much they're working towards this. These seem like good officers, and if they were able to clear a guy that that the society was trying to throw shade on, I think they would do it. 
you know, 100%. I think they would come out and say 100% this person's not involved in the murder of these children. I can't wait until they do solve this thing because I think that the the full story that comes out about the investigation and the way that they took this, the directions that it's gone in, whether they took it that direction or the investigation led them in that direction. I think that it, it, it will end up being a very interesting story from that aspect of this case. And I, I think that like, just like they have said, we can't, we can't tell you everything that we know one day we would like to sit down and do that. And where I say that I, they don't have to show their hand and I don't want them to. And you question, well, it's not working. It's not working in the sense that we know that they've not arrested the killer. They've not arrested the bridge guy. He's not sitting there waiting to go to trial, but where it, where in fact it, that same tactic may be working is they may be crossing people off their list. And the suspect pool is going to get shorter and shorter and shorter and smaller and smaller and smaller. So it may be working in some form and fashion that's just not obvious to us. Make sure you join us back here in the garage tomorrow for part two. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.